in just a moment today's edition of Gareth Jones on Speed. But before that, a message from the First Minister of Wales, Mark Dripford. Hello. I stand before you today looking like a proper Prime Minister, albeit from 1967, but a proper Prime Minister, not one of those work-shy fops from Westminster. And I know that I sound rather like the BBC News Elvis Hugh Edwards on Valium, but I have an important message for you. A spike in statistics has indicated that our recent behaviour is causing problems and at this very difficult time we must, of course, make some changes. So I am introducing some new restrictions on movement here in Wales. So... If you have recently bought a performance car, I don't know, something like a Wicked Lotus GT4 Den Sport, or a totally wham McLaren Senna, or one of those utterly banging aerial atoms, don't bring them to Wales, no. I know the double S's on the A4565334 between Llan Vihang Elisav and Llan Astim Dwi'chav are absolutely cracking and a lovely place to get to know the grip and handling of the very best sports cars available right now. But please, don't bring them to Wales. No. Also, please remember the rule of six. If your name is Gareth Jones and you've been to Wales five times already this year, don't come a sixth time. No, go to Scottishland. Nicola Sturgeon Eggs tells me they have plenty of room there, and that Scotland land is basically Wales on steroids. Thank you. Or as we say in Wales, isn't everything miserable? And we are off the air. Oh, good. Thank you, First Minister. I think that went quite well. You don't think I sounded too miserable, do you? No, no, First Minister. That was positively upbeat by your standards. Hello, welcome to Gareth Jones on Speed. I'm Gareth, she's Sarah. Hello. And he's Zog. Hello, everybody. And as usual, we are still separated physically, but connected emotionally and electronically via the gift of motorsport and video conferencing. And wow, there's been an awful lot of motorsport since we last spoke because we had the On Speed Summer Music compilation, then that episode about Violet and I in the Volkswagen camper van. So we have a great deal to talk about, not least of all, the most important race of the year, the Le Mans 24 Hours. Did you both watch it, Sarah? Ladies first? Oh, okay, yes, I did. I did. I did see not the race in its entirety, I will admit, but I, whatever I missed, both of you will fill me in on. 
but I did very much enjoy what I saw. I saw the finale, the end, and so much excitement. It was good. I am a Le Mans novice, so I was just following on from that fantastic movie we saw earlier, or was it last year, that movie, and so... Yeah, it was really exciting. Whenever we saw that movie, it was before lockdown, yeah. so that could have been a billion, billion years ago. You're talking about the Le Mans 66 yeah. or Ford versus Ferrari film, yeah. Le Mans 66, that's the one. I think what I noticed about Le Mans, which is very different, obviously, from Formula One, is that there's all the different storylines that come through and the, the trials and the tribulations and just some of those things that happens over the whole 24 hours can really affect the result of the race. And I, I think that's what I really enjoyed. You've got to be in it to win it. You've got to stay in the race. Mm. Zog, I managed to watch something like 20 of the 24 hours racing in at least an hour and a half. No, no, no. I, I can't not watch it when it's on. It's utterly addictive. Zog, how much of it did you manage to see? Probably maybe 17 hours or so, I guess, uh, in, the, in that region. Very uh, good. I had a decent kip. One of the advantages of watching it at home rather than being on site is having access to a proper bedroom and somewhere more comfortable to lay your head. But other than my break for a kip, I settled down with a good supply of appropriate food and drink to see me through. Which was what? Well, let's see. I had some Breton cider. Good stuff. Uh, some good French wine. <laughs> oh, lovely. Uh, steak and chips, plenty of camembert. Yeah. Uh, I made no. myself some Grand Marnier crepes. Beautiful. Which Amazing. I have to say, the, the crepes worked out very well. Crepes. I, think I've I got love that, how you uh, say it too. Got we got that... say crepes. <laughs> oh, we have to say crepes. Is that a French way to say it? <laughs> well, I'm not going to second guess the pronunciation. But the important thing was that the flavour was bang on. On consistency the thinness was just right so fantastic so yeah i ate and drank well that you know got me through nicely and it just helped to feel a little bit more rooted in the event when you're watching it remotely and you're not able to actually be there in person i managed to watch as i said about 20 hours of it plus two hours of the build-up and i didn't leave the living room i actually slept in the living room we've got one of those fold-out sofa bed things so i was able to sleep here and um, when it came time to hit the sack i couldn't stay awake anymore i think the 11 guinnesses may have had something it wasn't 11 i think the guinnesses may have had something to do with that that i didn't want to go to sleep but i was fighting it and fighting it hit the sack in the early hours and woke up to watch the last three hours of the race but for those who didn't manage to watch the 88th running of the Le Mans 24 hours. Here's a rundown of the winners in the four categories. GTM was won by TS Sports number 90, Aston Martin, driven by Johnny Adam, Charlie Eastwood and Sally Yuluk, making a double win for Aston Martin this year. It was a double podium too for the Aston, as the number 95, Nicky Tim, Marco Sorensen and Richard Westbrook took a well-earned third. GTE Pro winner was number 97, Aston Martin, Alex Lynn, Maxime Martin and Harry Ticknell, finishing a lap ahead of the number 51 AF Corsa Ferrari. The win in LMP2 went to number 22 United Autosport Orica 07, driven by Philip Albuquerque, Phil Hansen and Paul DeResta. And the overall win went to the LMP1 number 8 Toyota Guzu Racing TS050, driven by Kazuki Nakajima. 
Brendan Hartley and Sebastian Buemi. Zog, you watched the start of the race live. Did you manage to watch the build-up as well? I watched a fair bit of the build-up, yeah. I saw the Toyota Hypercar and the Hydrogen race car doing its demo. H24. Yeah, H24 doing its demo lap. I mean, the build-up actually was one of those bits that, you know, where you felt the absence of the crowd a little bit, you know. It was wonderful to see a lot of the familiar sights of the team preparing the vehicles, French Army helicopter coming in and dropping the guys with the flag and presenting the flag to the officials. And all that was lovely to see, but you're a bit more aware of the absence of the crowd there. Agreed. The start of 24 hours, as I've said many times as we've covered it on the programme when we're there, is emotional. There's a huge relief because we're so glad to finally get to this amazing race that when the French Marines abseil out of that helicopter with the Tricolori to start the race, and then the helicopter does this sort of death plunge, this nose-down dive towards the start-finish straight and then flies along the start-finish straight, that makes you gasp when you're there. And I'm sure that translates to people watching at home. Yeah, it's a great sight. So, importance, how did everybody's picks for the race go? Well, this is going to take a little while because I had a number of cars chosen. Sarah, who were you following? Did you pick any particular cars? The cars I followed this year and my picks were, I'll start with the all-female team because that's who I was really barracking for and they were the LMP2 class and that was the number 50 Richard Mill Racing. That team featured Sophia Forch and she was on that, flew through the air into the billboard in the Formula 4 race last year so she became quite known for that. But now she has another claim to fame and that's finishing them on. That was quite cool. And if we go back to the top category, LM. P1, I was having my eye on the Brennan Hartley team with Sebastian Buemi and very pleased to see that they won. Even though I do realise that they weren't the fastest car, but they did win because I suppose they were consistent, weren't they? Yeah. So pleased to see Brennan Hartley get through, particularly because he's an Australasian driver. Buemi also, he's a Formula E driver and for the category LMGTE, I picked the Aston Martin Racing Car, which won, correct? Yes, they won in both categories. They won in yes. GTE Pro and GTE Am. Yeah, I know. I know. I picked a couple of winners. Yes. So I know Alex Lynn from Formula E, so I went with familiarity there. So quite pleased with that. And you know what? I'm going to bow out of the LMGTE Am. I didn't pick a car, I'm afraid. I should pick one. But if I was going to pick one, <laughs> I'd pick the winner. No, no I'm going to hand it over to you and you guys tell me which ones did you pick and how they fare. Well, I'll go first. I mean, I had loads of cars. The trouble is I did the same thing as we all do, and that is support drivers that you have a connection with, either emotional or you've met them or you know them or you approve of them or you like what they're doing. What did I get? I got a winner in LM. P2, one of the United Autosport cars that I was backing, the number 22 car, Philippe Albuquerque and Phil Hansen, Paul DeResta, of course, in that car. I didn't do so well in GTE Pro or GTE Am. I was backing the wrong horses, basically. I chose the Ferraris. I thought the Ferraris might do it this year. I know the Porsches look slow and the Essas look quick, so I thought, well, that means no one's thinking about the Ferraris. So, yeah, that didn't work out for me. And in LMP1, of course, I was backing the Rebellion team, who came in second and couldn't quite 
beat Toyota, but they didn't make it easy for Toyota. So I got a reasonable hit. I got a win in LMP2, nothing in the GTE classes, but came second in LMP1. How about you, Zog? Who are your choices? Uh, well, mixed results, working down the categories in LMP1, I was rooting for the number seven car because this is the last year that that Toyota hybrid is going to be racing and the number seven crew have never won it. The other crew have. So, yeah, I wanted Kobayashi and Conway and Lopez to take it this time. But, yeah, they just lost too much time changing a turbocharger. It cost them something like 30 minutes, didn't it? Is that right? They changed the turbo? About half an hour. They spent about half an hour in the pits. And in fact, this was the number eight car had previously had brake trouble. Yeah. And they lost a lap or two, which gave the number seven car a decent lead, which obviously entirely evaporated when they had to change the turbo. So yeah, they were looking good in the first half of the race, but their win got away from them in the night and that's Le Mans, you know. I mean, a 30-minute pit stop is just quite significant, isn't it? But let's remember that one of the great things about this race and one of the reasons that I think, you know, we love it so much is that you can come back from even spending that amount of time in the pits, you can still come back and win. And in fact, a couple of years ago, was it maybe 2017? The Porsche that won had actually spent more than an hour in the pits being fixed right at the start of the race they came back out at the back of the field and because all of the other front runners had even more trouble later in the race they were able to make it back to the front and win the race that was close because the toyota failed on its penultimate or last no, that, was, lap. that was 2016 that was was um, it that was the year before sorry about the following year i think one of the toyotas caught fire and the other had, I think, was it a drivetrain problem? There was a very weird thing that happened in the pit. They were leaving the pits. I can't remember the detail now, but there was some mixed signal about whether they were cleared to leave the pits or not. And there was something to do with the clutch and transmission. That- I remember Kobayashi was waiting to leave the pit. And he thought he'd seen a signal from a marshal, but it wasn't actually a marshal. It was someone who raced for G-Drive who was wearing orange, just like the marshals. He gave him the thumbs up. Kobayashi pulled out. The team said to him, no, no, that you can't go. He stopped and he restarted again. But he restarted again. Instead of leaving on electric power, he left on internal combustion engine power. And that uh, burnt out the clutch. Yeah. What? I had a drive Disaster. Anyway, but that was P1. Just while we're talking about the LMP1 cars, we'll come back to your other choices in a minute. Do you know why the Toyota team are called Toyota Gazoo Racing? Do you know that name, what it's all about? Is it a sponsor? I'll tell you. Because I looked it up today. We've accepted that it's called Gazoo, which is sort of a ridiculous name, really. It sounds like a softer-sounding kazoo, doesn't it? Yeah. But apparently Gazoo today refers to the word garage, a very intimate place. This is according to Toyota's PR page, right? Where people work together to improve the smallest detail. The aim of delivering ever better cars and services for each customer in each garage. Sounds like PR spin to me. As such, the name embodies the spirit that drives Toyota Gazoo Racing. But here's the origins of it. The origin of the name goes back nearly 20 years to the creation of a website called gazoo.com, which is a website where images were gathered of vehicles. It's a way of keeping stock of Toyota dealerships. The name gazoo is derived from the original Japanese word gazo, which means image or photo. So they took the sort of European spelling, gazoo, gazoo, not gas top. No. And this was a sort of an innovation in the 1990s when Toyota were using the internet to keep stock of their 
of their stock, you know, all over the place. So it's this philosophy of being better through Gazoo, which is why the race team is called Gazoo. That is the most convoluted explanation of a team name I have ever heard. I'm just going to call them Toyota. Would you agree? I'd say so, yeah. It certainly trips off the tongue a lot more easily. No question. <laughs> so, go on. Your yeah, LMP2 yeah. choices. So, yeah, running down so LMP2. I was rooting for the Jackie Chan DC crew, number 37. You actually. love Jackie Chan. I love Jackie Chan. <laughs> I, I make no excuse for it. And so I was rooting for the number 37 crew, and they were running okay at the start of the race, but... After they broke down on the circuit, they cheated ever so slightly and were disqualified. So that was a slightly ignominious end. You tell me, dog, how did they cheat? Okay, well, if you break down at Le Mans, the driver is allowed to work on the car to get it back to the pits. You know, it's not unusual for drivers to do a bit of work on the car and get a quite badly damaged car back to the pits it gets fixed and gets back out and at least finishes the race in some cases might even win the race i think the winning car in 1979 spent a bit of time at the side of the road with the driver giving it some attention but the driver has to stay within i think 10 meters of the car yeah and the driver isn't allowed to receive any outside assistance so they can only use tools that they've got on the car and they can't be given any parts by a mechanic who's walked over from the pits and handed them a new part, which is what the DC crew did. Um, Not exactly. As I understood, it wasn't handed to him. It was surreptitiously lobbed over the fence. Yeah. And then he was told on the phone where it was, Uh, I believe. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But to be fair, I would want every way to get back in that race. I would be desperate to try and get away with anything. But unfortunately, the ACO marshals, the scrutineers were there watching and they got caught out. Yeah. Well, you know, and if they knew the car wasn't going to get back any other way, they probably figured, well, if we get caught, we get caught. But if we don't, then let's give it a shot. And to their credit, at least they fessed up when they were confronted with it by the officials. They didn't compound the felony by lying about it. Hands up, guilty. Anyway, so they were disqualified. So that was my top pick for LMP2 out of the race. But I did also have my eye on the Jota crew that ended up coming in second after a fantastic fight at the end with United Order Sport. Those last few laps, it almost looked like the Jota team were going to take it. On the last few laps, having run for 24 hours to win it on the last lap, but then they pulled in for fuel on the right. penalty yeah, lap, yeah, yeah. It was Anthony Davidson, the reason I was backing that crew. I really wanted him to... Win. I quite like Anthony Davidson. Yeah, absolutely. No, I'm, I'm a fan yes. and he had a lot of success in P1. I wanted to see him take the win in P2, but they couldn't quite do it. Yeah, that late stop for fuel cost them possible win. But it's better than running out of gas with a couple of laps to spare. So mixed results in P2. LMGT Pro, though, I was rooting for the 97 car from the off. I love the way those Aston Martins look. I'm a fan of Aston Martin racing. A couple of British drivers in there, including Alex Lynn, who's a local boy, in fact. I'm pretty sure he gets his kebabs from Kebab Kid. What, Fulham? Which is... No question, the best kebab shop in London. I'm not going to have any argument about this. Is this near where you live? Yeah, I think he actually lives in Parsons Green, so he's just up the road, but close enough. I'll consider him a local boy. It's usually very good racing in GT Pro, and it was again this year. Right from the start, there was great competition between the Aston Martins and the Ferraris, and it was a good scrap all the way to the end. So yeah, I was happy with that win. GTEM, 
I was actually rooting for the 85, the Iron Lynx, the other all-women crew, in fact. Where did they finish in the end? Do we know? I'm not sure. They didn't finish all that well, I think. They weren't looking particularly competitive. Also, just to go back to GT Pro for a minute, I was rooting for the 91 car as well, the Porsche in the old 917 livery, winning 917 livery. Of course you were. But they were slow at the start and slow all the way through. That wasn't so good. (laughs) (laughs) I'm going to talk about the women. You mentioned the other all-female driving team there, Zog, in the GTE class. But the number 50 car. Yeah, Richard Milkart that was crewed by Tatiana Cauldron, Sophia Florsch and Bietzky Bietzka Visser. Yeah, yeah. She's in the W series actually, Visser. She's in the W series. Yeah. They did an incredibly good job. Yeah. They had an untroubled absolutely solid very competitive race for a very first time for all three of those they finished 13th overall and 9th in lmp2 that's some achievements and did you see their car oh yes i did see it actually it was as gorgeous as the idea of three women drivers in a team yeah it was a good looking car yeah it was, it was yeah. very very good that red it was a nice sort of deep red it was yeah, almost like a, a um, slightly metallic deep red yeah lovely colour it was almost like dragon's blood red and I thought it looked ace and it didn't have stuff written all over it it had the name of the team which was we say Richard Milbra I believe it's Richard Miller I believe Mm. I had no idea until I heard someone else say it that way that was arguably the best looking car out there but of course the best looking car is always the car that's won the race and that Toyota Gazoo it's not a Gazoo it's a Toyota is a tremendous piece of machinery it's a brutal piece of technology an excellent piece of technology it's not beautiful though some of the LMP ones we've had over the last few years have been gorgeous this one isn't but it is a winner which makes it gorgeous yeah it's not a stunner but it's a very effective race car and it looks effective also actually we should just also maybe just mention for me also one of the Great stories of the race was the 88 Dempsey Proton Porsche. Which struggled to get back to the pit, didn't it, at one point? Yeah, well, early in the race, so when Thomas Prining was driving, he got tangled up in an accident that wasn't his fault, avoiding a spinning car ahead of him, went off, did quite well to not hit the barriers any more heavily than he did, came back to the pits, they got it going again, and at first it looked as if they were maybe just doing a couple of slow laps just so that one of their other drivers, Dominic Bastien, could get a couple of laps in because he hadn't driven yet. And he's the oldest driver ever to start at Le Mans. He's 74, yeah. I mean, that's something. That's amazing. But in fact, it looked more like they were maybe shaking the car down and they finished the race well down the field, but well done. It was was tremendous to see them compete all the way. And yeah, again, another great Le Mans story for me. Yeah, Le Mans is full of tremendous stories like that. Sarah, that's probably the first time you've given your pretty much full attention to the Le Mans 24 hours. How do you feel about it? What have you learned? Did you enjoy it? I did enjoy it, 100%, but I'm not sure I gave it my full focus like you did, Gareth. I mean, 20 out of 24 hours is rather impressive. (laughs) You know, I would have liked to have seen more of it, but I had one of those weekends where I just had a lot on my plate, and then also I had technical problems, so I didn't get to see all of it. But I did see a good chunk, and it was very exciting, and, yeah, no, I I did really enjoy it. And all those things that I watched from Le Mans 66 really came to life. And do you want to come with us next year? Oh, yeah, I'd love to come with you next year. 
year. You know, one of my best friends, Rachel, she works on the PR team for WEC. So she was out there and I actually followed the, her progress too. So I, I think she got just maybe as much sleep as you did, Gareth, but she was there live. So I would love to be there live next year. All right. We'll take you up on that. I loved having a Le Mans. I was so grateful that it just happened at all. I would love to have been there. I was sad that I wasn't there, but at least we did get to watch it at home. And I'm going to finish with a dreadful pun. You know, there was no one in tents for Le Mans this year but as ever the Le Mans 24 hours was intense sorry about that yeah that was a terrible terrible Hmm. pun Stefano Domenicali, congratulations on being chosen as the new boss of Formula One thank you very much and I would like to uh, congratulate someone as well really who and why I would like to congratulate Ferrari on winning the 2022 Formula One World Championship. Still to come in this episode of Gareth Jones on Speed, we discuss the recent events in Formula One and... We've got some fairly major news about an upcoming episode of Gareth Jones on Speed, so stick around. In the meantime, time for a musical break, and to break tradition, instead of doing sort of 80s bands, because a lot of the music that we do is kind of 80s, here's my attempt at trying to do a more contemporary act. You might know the band Fontaine's DC, fantastic Dublin band, I love them perhaps because they sound like a sort of a 70s punk band. So this is my attempt at sounding like Fontaine's DC. For copyright reasons, it's Fountain's DC. And this is a song which I imagined they might write if they were comparing Le Mans to Formula One. It's called It's All About The Vibe. Sunday morning's really boring unless you're at Le Mans Cause Formula One doesn't get going until about ten past one I get dismayed at the track parade with black spectacle and glory If I'm honest I'm frankly dismayed Watching drivers on the back of a diesel lorry They gotta work harder to earn my dollar It's all about the vibe It's all about the vibe it's all about the void It's all about the void It's all about the void Maybe I just get it older In the past this spot was much much bolder V10s, V12s in the mix not just a monotone drone of V6 after V6 after V6 I think they missed a trick, I like the noise when it came Fast and thick, these rules are written by a dipstick You gotta work harder to earn my dollar It's all about the void 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 It's all about the void
out of the chill Holy fuck, do something about it Why hook or by crook Take a leaf out someone else's book At Le Mans you get a range of sounds V8 Corvettes shake the ground Flat 6 Porsches sound like bees Even Turbo Toyotas please my ears And it's been like this for years F1 Change gear Change gear F1 or we'll be gone Or we'll all be fucking gone It's all about the vibe 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 Something I did mean to mention in the earlier part of the show, I'm going to start part two with now, and that was having women compete at Le Mans is brilliant, and it's not a new thing. A lot of people think it's a new thing, but it really isn't. 59 women are taking part across the 88 editions of the Le Mans 24 Hours, the total of 132 starts and 68 finishes for female drivers. A record 10 women took part in the 1935 race, which saw 120 total drivers enter and I believe the most successful female competitor in Le Mans I think they came fourth way back in the 1930s that was Odette Sisko but Vanina X is also one of the most successful female racers at Le Mans of all time she has I think seven starts which I think has been beaten by only one other female driver. And Vanina came seventh one year in a, a Lola Aston, if memory serves. And I love her. She's my absolute hero because she, of course, is Jackie X's daughter. And she looks just like him, but she's a woman. <laughs> anyway, enough with Le Mans because, gosh, there's been loads of Formula One. I think we've had three F1 races since we had a conversation last, what was the last race? It was the Tuscan Grand Prix, wasn't yeah, it? Tuscan, Tuscan then, Grand Prix, that's correct. Then Monza before that, and then... Uh, Spain. 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 Spain before that, yeah, wasn't yeah. it? I know which race was my highlight. Was it the one where a certain Australian driver did quite well? Possibly. No, <laughs> my favourite one was definitely Monza, because I just love the fact that Pierre Gasly was the hero, the unsung hero, and came up from adversity and he came through and won. So what a little legend. I was very happy when Pierre Gasly won. It's always nice when those kind of stories come through, isn't it? Particularly at Monza, and he just spanked the pants off Ferrari, but Ferrari, they've not been doing well at all this year, have they? I think even their expectation of Monza wouldn't have been that high. Well, I think maybe it was their, their local race, so maybe they would have done better than yeah, what they have a- been doing. Absolutely, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, and, the, and the, they would certainly have wanted a good weekend. I think so. I got hopeful for an improvement. Do you know what I liked best about Gasly's win was the way he conducted himself on the Monza podium. So nice. When it was all over, he sat down on his own and sort of just took stock for a moment. And I think that is a very wise, sensitive 
sincere, lovely man who does something like that. I'm not going to give up on this. I'm just going to think about it. Because he'd lost a pal who used to race with him when they were younger. Antoine Hubert, who died in an F2 race. And I think that was foremost in his mind at that point as well. Yeah, and I mean, I think that that moment, that will definitely be one of the key images of that year. I think so. Photos of Gasly with his own thoughts on his own on that Monza podium. That's an image that will identify this year in people's memories for a long time to come. And it was a lovely moment, as you say. And I think it's worth reflecting on Gasly's strength of character. Cause, um, I think so, yes. To come back, he's had a hell of a ride in the last couple of years to be demoted from his Red Bull seat in the middle of the season. That's always going to be a tough blow to take psychologically. Losing a friend and then to come back from that to win that race. Sure, events played into his hands. He was a little bit lucky to find himself at the start of the field when he did, but he withstood a lot of pressure for a lot of laps to hang on to that win. And yeah, it was a well-deserved win. Lovely to see a French driver also for the first time, first time in what, 20 years I think or so? it was something like um, that. More than that. It was when Olivier Panis won at Monaco. That was the last win, I think. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah, a popular win. Well done, Pierre Gasly. But also, he won in the Red Bull Racing second team, the AlphaTauri car, which is something that only Sebastian Vettel had done before him. At the same circuit. Vettel won at Monza in the rain. That was his win for what was um, oh. Toro Rosso, Toro Rosso at the then. time. Yeah, that's so right. So that's, that's their right. home circuit, yeah. being an Italian-based team, of course. But what do we think of Mugello? As a circuit for F1, guys. It looked fantastic and it was wonderful to see F1 at a new venue. It gave us a good race. I'm not sure that it's somewhere that you'd want to be a regular feature on the calendar. I can't help thinking that once the teams had got used to the circuit, it might not produce such good racing. But yeah, fantastic looking circuit, fast flowing and... Yeah, it gave us a great race. There were, what, two red flags in that race? I mean, it was, I think Lewis described it as like three races on one day, didn't he? Yeah, well, we had three standing starts. Yeah, yeah. There, yeah. there were two red flags. A bit too much action, actually, at times. <laughs> I mean, uh, I'm not sure quite how many drivers were warned by the officials after that second safety car restart. You know, when they were kind of queued up behind Bottas, Bottas didn't, bogged off quite as quickly as some of the midfield runners had expected. And so because they'd taken off and then had to back off, there was a very rapid concertina effect, avoiding action and then heavy contact. Bit of a mess. That was a terrifying crash as well from, uh, was it... um Giovinazzi's viewpoint. Oh, yeah. Truly, truly terrifying as someone jinked in front of a car and revealed the car almost static there. Oh, you don't want to be in that situation. Yeah, yeah. A brown trousers moment. And since we've last spoken, a terribly sad thing has happened in motorsport, and that is the Williams family have finally vacated the Williams team as the only woman team manager at the moment in Formula One. It's a loss, isn't it, losing Claire? Do you agree or do you think nobody cares? I know I think a lot of people care. I think she's been a huge positive 
influence and has had such a great impact on the sport, showing that she can be a good leader. It's just a shame, though, that she's bowed out in the circumstances. It's almost like one of those jobs where you're being pushed, where the team's not performing very well. And I guess like any sport, if you're the, you know like a football team manager, if your team's not going very well, the first to get their head cut off is the manager or the coach or the, you know, the team principal. So I wish that she had left the sport in better circumstances, but what she has done for the sport is amazing. And she's proven that, you know, women can be good leaders and they do know their stuff. I only wish that she was leaving the sport in better circumstances, but I do think, yes, so in that regard, it is a loss. But she has been a great positive impact. She knows her stuff and she's been a very, very good leader. And I don't think that's her having to bow out the way she is isn't a reflection necessarily on her because there's been a whole heap of things happening with Williams, hasn't there? I mean, I think she's leaving, obviously, because with the change of management, with the takeover of the team, Mm. there's no longer the family ownership of the team. And without that emotional and family connection there, regardless of whether the incoming owners might want her to stay on and you're always going to want new management when you take over a team pretty much she wanted to move on herself we've come to the end of that chapter in williams history and i think you can well understand that Do you know what i think Sean? go on i think this is the beginning of the end of williams bear with me on this i believe that the new owners of the team have said that they're going to keep the williams name You don't think that they will? No, I don't. What, just for the rest of the year? Well, we'll see. They will keep it as long as they have to, is my view. And I reckon if a new investor came in or someone, an alliance with a manufacturer came in who wanted to run that team, they would absolutely, at the drop of a hat, change the name of the team to that new sponsor or owner well because there's a trend in formula one for doing this if you think about it you know racing point a brand new owner handing over to aston martin because of the connections that lawrence stroll has with both those firms in terms of ownership you look at the renault team renault are rebranding themselves as one of their sub brands alpine as of next year even Sauber now running as Alfa Romeo. Now, Formula One, as the ultimate of motorsport, has to have a collection of great names there. I don't know, Gareth. I think you could make a strong case, I think, and I would make the case that one of that team's most valuable assets is the name. The Williams name has been a big part of Formula One for many years. They're one of the few teams that has won multiple world championships. They've written some of the greatest pages in Formula One history. And yet it is a brand that has no value outside of Formula One, unlike Ferrari, unlike Red Bull, to the public's uneducated view, is my opinion. And, And... What I reckon would happen is, say VW Group, who've now started making noises about rejoining Formula One again, if VW decided to run, let's say, Bentley in Formula One, they wanted to join Formula One, they would absorb the Williams team, it's a good starting point, and brand it Bentley. You can see that sort of thing happening. I would put money on this. I'm not saying it's going to be Bentley, but I'm saying Williams will lose the name within five years. Okay, I will take that bet. Okay. I will take the bet because, put it this way, any change of name for that team that involves another brand coming in, I would say they're going to keep 
Williams as part of the name. So in your scenario where VW are coming in, it's going to be Bentley Williams. I would take that. I think that would happen. They would would add it, but I think they're not just going to remain pure Williams is what I'm saying. I would agree that Bentley Williams is a very strong possibility. Yeah. Actually, it would be Williams Bentley, wouldn't it? Because it would be Williams Bentley more like, however they do it. However they do it, they're going to keep that name in there because that name is too strong a brand in F1 to throw away. The other thing, of course, is that VW Group are selling off some of their crown jewels at the moment. They're selling Bugatti. There's talk of them selling Lamborghini and selling Bentley as well. So whoever buys Bentley, which let's assume it's the people who've just bought Williams because they've clearly got money, that would make sense for them to brand that team Bentley Williams or Williams Bentley. But yeah, Mm. I'm in two minds about the loss of Williams because... They are what one of the greatest performing teams ever in Formula One. They've done incredible things, but it's been a long time since they've been great. Mm. And if you're not going forwards yeah, in agreed. Formula One, you're agreed. going backwards. And so the fact that they never managed to hang on is an indictment of the decisions that they made in the way that they chose to continue, which may well have started when... Renault stopped supplying them as a works team. BMW gave up on Williams. They found it impossible. They called it the British problem, didn't they? And they couldn't make the Cosworth engines work. It was only when they spent their family jewels to get Mercedes engines that they were remotely competitive. And that's largely thanks to Pat Simmons, who used to be at Renault. And as soon as he went... Williams are in disarray again. So I am sad for two reasons. I'm sad that they've crumbled. A bit like you, Sarah. I'm sad that Claire didn't manage to leave in glory. And I'm sad that Williams have lost their glory. And I'm sad that it's not the team it was before and won't be again. Yeah, but times change. You can't stand still in a sport like Formula One. And at the same time that we can love and appreciate the history, you can't be too sentimental. That team needs to start winning and they need new money and maybe they need a bit more than that to turn things around. So let's hope this is the start of a new and better period for Williams or whatever that team becomes. We've got Vettel, as we've predicted, I think just about everybody's been saying this, not just us, to be fair, for a very long time. Vettel is going to Racing Point. He will be Aston Martin next year. Do you think he'll win races for them next year, given that it's essentially the same cars they'll have this year? Do you think Vettel's over, or has he still got it in him, do you reckon? I think deep down that even if he was in one of the best cars this year, he would probably still make his unforced errors. He's proven that the last two seasons, really, hasn't he, that he has just been making too many mistakes. So I think he'll probably do better than this year because the Aston Martin car, which will be named next year, is a better car than the Ferraris this year, but I just cannot see him necessarily winning races. Maybe his time is slipping away, but I think there'll be a lot of people that are happy to still see him in Formula One next year. And also, it would be great if Nico Hockenberg came back. Oh, God, yes. Don't get me started on that. And also... <laughs> I yeah, really don't, like him. I yeah. would love to see him back. Don't get him started Didn't again. Didn't he do well when he came up and he replaced Perez? Yeah, he did. He did very well. But on the subject of Perez... Where's Perez going to go next year, do you think? Haas? I know. I like him too. I think he's a good driver. Do you think he's going to go to Haas or is he going to take a load of sponsorship to Alfa Romeo? I think he might end up in IndyCar. If he doesn't, those are the two places that are his best bets. If he is going to stay in Formula One, it'll probably be with 
Alfa Romeo or Haas. Which which leagues? Who are the exiting drivers then? We've got what is Kimi Raikkonen? You guys tell me which are the exiting drivers. Kimi Raikkonen hasn't signed a contract for next year. Giovinazzi hasn't been great either, has he? I'm not sure that Alfa Romeo would kick out Kimi for Perez necessarily. I mean, sure, he's he's the oldest driver in the field. He's clearly coming to the end of his career, but he was pretty racy at the Tuscan Grand Prix. Had a very good ladder period. He got the penalty for cutting across the pit lane entrance, I think it was, but he had a very good, solid run at the end of the race. Yeah, I don't know. I think it's 50-50 whether he'll be in Formula 1 next year with one of those two teams or whether he'll be on the other side of the pond in IndyCar. I think Perez is likely to go to IndyCar because Zach Brown has been making large noises about the value of having a, let's not deny it, well-supported by sponsors Mexican driver in IndyCar. And the McLaren Arrow IndyCar team is on the ascension. They had a great season this year. They really are doing well. What's his name? Pato O'Dowd? No, Pato O'Ward. He's got a bizarre name. Is doing great business. But, you know, they're looking at expanding that team, possibly running three cars. Perez would fit nicely there. I also think Kimi's and Giovinazzi's position at Alfa Romeo is entirely down to whether Mick Schumacher will win the F2 season this year, which looks like he might actually do. He's in contention. He's leading at the moment. And if he does win it, bang, he'll be in an Alfa Romeo next year. Perhaps not even as a test driver, but as a race driver. And does he deserve it? Yeah, he's a very, 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 very good F2 driver. Is he as good as his dad? No. Is he as good as his uncle? Probably. So, yeah, he deserves a place in Formula One. Okay, right. So, she... Who's going to win at Sochi? Zog, quickly. Hamilton. No question. Okay. He's my pick. Sarah? Yeah, Hamilton. If you want a Hamilton, then Max Verstappen. I'm keeping an eye, as ever, on Valtteri because he's done well at Sochi in the past and he could just take it. And it's great that Formula One continues. There are going to be people at this race in Russia, aren't there, I believe? There is. I was just reading about that. They're going to have up to 20,000 spectators that will be allowed to attend the race. So that's quite exciting, really. Exciting slash interesting experiment. Yeah, I don't know that I'd want to be one of those 20,000. Russia are opening up its doors. Unfortunately for us, though, here in the UK, the due date for all fans to attend sporting events was the 1st of October, which is now being nullified by this exciting new lockdown. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Amazing. Yeah. Well, actually, since we're on this subject, worth mentioning that I think nine factory Porsche drivers have been withdrawn from the Nürburgring 24 hours following some positive tests really on the Sunday at Le Mans. Oh, I hadn't heard that. I'm not sure who tested positive, but as a result of some positive tests, they've withdrawn nine of their drivers from the race. Well, the chances of there being an infection outbreak at Le Mans are quite high because you've got 50 cars, you've got 150, sorry, 59 cars. You've got three times that in terms of drivers. You've got a crew of at least, what, 10 people per car. That's a lot of people. Statistically, it's hard to maintain a bubble that big, isn't it? But I wish them well as Porsche drivers. I don't want anyone to contract coronavirus. That's dreadful news. With exception of one person, I'm just thinking with Russia opening up its doors, wouldn't it be brilliant if after the Russian race, all the people in the stands went and gave Putin a big, soft, wet kiss and a big <laughs> hug? Yeah. Really? 
Right, before we vanish, you may well have noticed that this is episode 399 of Gareth Jones on Speed, which I think is probably worth a small applause. Yay! Yay! And a much bigger applause for our 400th episode, which is coming soon. And we're going to do something slightly different, aren't we, gang? We are. Rather than just do a pre-recorded chat... We're going to do a live show. Now, the last time we did a live show, we did it in front of real people in a real venue in real North London. Obviously, we can't do that at the moment, but that's not going to stop us from celebrating. We're going to do episode 400 live on YouTube. It will be a live video stream with, if I can get the technology working, Zog, Sarah, Richard Porter... And a number of appearances by some guests who I'm not going to say anything about other than you won't want to miss this. It's going to be a special one. Yeah, it'll be a blast. Oh, I'm excited. Are you really? I am. Yeah, I am. You know, I'm very honoured, Gareth. I'm quite a newbie out of your 400 eps. I'm <laughs> riding on your coattails. I reckon, Sarah, you've <laughs> probably done something like 60 episodes of this programme. Have been, I? I think wow, you've been with us two amazing. years, I think, now, which is about 60 episodes. Yeah. I think. And so the plan is that we're going to take questions, guys, from people. Because on YouTube, there's a chat window there where people can send us live questions. So are there any questions, Sarah and Zog, that you'd be not willing to answer? Well, I don't know. I think I probably better not give any (laughs) indications of what question I wouldn't want to answer. So, uh, (laughs) uh, yeah. Apart from sort of the obvious kind of questions. (laughs) I'm going to plead the fifth on that. Quite right, too. But in the meantime, have a serious thank you to about some of the things that you've been involved in in the first 400 episodes of gareth jones on speed Mm -hmm. because i know that we've got a very knowledgeable fan base who are going to ask all sorts of questions of us and if you're listening at home right now thinking ah actually i've always wanted to ask the team that anything you want to know about gareth jones on speed here's your opportunity to ask us now this event happens and you two better put it in your diary and listeners put it in your diary as well It will be at nine o'clock in the evening on Wednesday. I know we usually publish shows on Thursday, but there's a reason for this. We're doing it on Wednesday at 9 p.m. on the 7th of October this year, 2020. Now, if you want to see this, go to my YouTube channel. Search Gareth Jones TV on YouTube. Find my channel and subscribe to my channel, and hopefully you will get an alert telling you when this goes live. And we want your contributions. If you want to write to us and ask us anything live on the show, or you want to do it right now, you can email us on speed at garethjones.tv. Zog, you'll be answering questions on Porsche, no doubt. I'll answer whatever questions anyone throws at me. I can't guarantee I'll get them right, but yeah, any questions, all questions are welcome. Sarah, you'll be answering questions on Australian racing drivers of the 2020s. Sounds good to me. (laughs) The 2020s. Don't know about it. <laughs> so don't miss it. If you want to spread the word about this on social media, and I don't just mean you two, Zog and Sarah, I mean you listening to this as well, please do. We'll be all over social media plugging it. Spread the word. The more people, the merrier. But for now, this has been Gareth Jones on Speed, episode 399 with Zog. Goodbye. And with Sarah. Bye-bye. And with me, Gareth Jones. See ya for episode 400. Don't miss it. Thank <laughs> you.
to send us an email. See pictures, get song lyrics, join our Facebook fan site, follow us on Twitter, or to find out about sponsorship opportunities, go to garethjones.tv. Gareth Jones on Speed is made in London by Whizbang. Gareth Jones on Speed! Speed!